Good evening. Good evening, Mrs. Jones. How are you? I am well. How are you? We shouldn't say good evening because most people listen to this in the morning. Good morning. Good morning, baby. <laughs> so nice to see you this morning. Oh, did you sleep well? <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this week. Do you want to tell everybody why you're howling? Well, I didn't mean to do that, but I um, I fell over carrying MJ onto concrete. And so in order to make sure he didn't hit the floor, I landed on my knees and elbows and scraped up a whole bunch of stuff. You're such a good mother. Yeah, he still cried though. But at least he didn't cry from pain. He cried because he was terrified. And I yelled <laughs> as I was falling to, to the ground, carrying my son. <laughs> I don't know what the neighbors thought. No, because I was like, <laughs> We I didn't really have much going on this week. Mark DuPont came to town to visit. Yes. And we'll talk about Mark in a second. Mm -hmm. He spoke at m &A. Yes, he did speak at m &A. It was really good. And we did take him for coffee at Honest Roasters. And he said it was the best flat white he's had in years. Yes. And he experienced a cronut and an acai bowl. So he, Did he experience a cronut? Did we not get him a cronut? Nope. No, they were out. We were remiss. In we our... tried to cronut him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure cronutting is an adjective. <laughs> okay, let's never say that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, all our students got back from outreach. They did. I can't wait for tomorrow. I know. Tomorrow when we go in, we're going to hear all about them. And if you would like to hear some of their stories, if you tune into um, Grace Center's web stream next Sunday, or I guess this coming Sunday, you'll be able to hear them because they're taking the whole service. I'm not sure the students know that yet. Well, if they listen to our podcast, they're going to know it tomorrow. Yeah, they'll mm -hmm. find out. Mm -hmm. And I'm still in, if you look around our office right now, there's just receipts everywhere. Yes. Because. Random piles of receipts. As my accountant said, receipt or it didn't happen. And then Easter. Easter. And. MJ looked like a television presenter. He did. He looked like a um, news anchor or something. So cute. I. Got, it's not cute, though. It was cute. No, Everybody thought it was cute. Yes, but that's because they're not him. I was that boy. My parents would dress me like that, and it dates terribly. So, in but about he liked it. He liked his tie. He kept babe, telling he's two years old. Tie. He has no spatial awareness. Well, he's what does got, that have to do with anything? He's got no self concept. <laughs> when he's thirteen and looks back on those pictures, I guarantee he's not going to be like, "Mom, Dad, thanks. These are awesome. I hope these photos follow me the rest of my life." Yes, he is. He's going to think they're <laughs> great, and his wife is going to be like, "Oh my gosh, you were the cutest two-year-old in a suit I've ever seen." It's true. Okay, if his he wife wants to marry, okay, fine. You're deluded. <laughs> There's not much I can do. All right, do you want to introduce our topic this week? Um. Well, this week we actually. Are interviewing Mark Dupont. That's right. We sequestered him while he was here. Yes. We did an interview with him earlier this week. We did. And you'll hear about Mark anyway when you can when we stop talking and you start listening to him. But do you want to give a quick overview of Mark Dupont? Well, um, I've known Mark for about twenty years, maybe a little bit more than that actually, twenty two ish or something. So I met Mark when he was on staff in Toronto and uh he actually gave me a prophetic word that really changed the course of my life in many ways. That's right. If you've ever heard AJ's testimony, you will remember that somebody prophesied over it. And I'm not going to give it away because he talks about it, or you guys talk about it during the interview. But anyway, Mark's a friend of ours, a very gifted teacher and prophet. We've known him for a number of years. And he was gracious enough for us to just peg him with a whole lot of questions. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. Here you go. No, we're very excited that we have our friend Mark Dupont with us. For those of you who may not be familiar with Mark's name, um, he has spent the last 25 years? Uh, 33. 33 years traveling the world, millions of miles logged, and a number of uh, nations visited. Known for your prophetic ministry, you love revival, you love the Father's love, you love health and vitality in the local church. My first question is, how on earth did you end up in prophetic ministry? Yeah, uh, it was way back around 1980, 81. And uh, I was somewhat involved in leadership of a local church in North San Diego that had uh, uh, was part of the Jesus movement, had come out of that. And uh, I was also involved in uh, planting a church, starting a new work uh, in uh, San Bernardino area. Maybe that was a year later or so. But at that time, I 
really felt a, a call of the Lord uh, on my life. And uh, as I got engaged, my wife felt that too for more classic ministry, uh, church planting, building up a church, building up infrastructure, and maybe then moving on and doing more church planting. I thought that was going to be the future. And um, we had a guy who had been instrumental in the Jesus movement and had really kind of uh, been gravitating towards more towards prophetic ministry come to our church, uh, did a Sunday morning, Sunday night. And I wasn't even sure at that time if I believed so much in New Testament prophecy or a prophetic ministry today, I hadn't been exposed to it. But... Um, he and a friend of his came to our church and did a Sunday morning, did a really good message, I remember, on problem of sin and go- uh, sin of gossip and slander and all of that. And I uh, thought, oh, this is great. And uh, then they announced at the Sunday night service, uh, he was going to speak on the presence of the Lord and then have a time of waiting on the Lord. And I thought, well, why do we wait on the Lord? Is he late for the meeting like we are? What's, what's, <laughs> you know, what does that mean? And... Um, so he spoke on the presence of the Lord, being filled with the Spirit, and uh, then he just kind of casually said, we're going to kind of officially end the meeting now, and anybody needs leave, wants to leave, feel free, but in about 10 minutes, we're going to go into ministry and worship and just uh, open it up to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do, and I was intrigued by that. And, and he prayed for a number of people, and you could definitely sense... Um, you know, there was this tangible feeling that something was going on, uh, a heaviness, as it were. And um, the guy that was with him then came up to me and said, uh, you know, this morning I saw you. And he said, I felt God give me a prophetic word for you. And again, I wasn't, I was a seminary student at the time and I was involved in church planning. I believed in the gifts of the Spirit, but, you know, when it came to prophecy, I hadn't really seen that. I it was a little bit sketchy to me. So I kind of, uh, was on my edge. I was saying, okay, but secretly I was saying, okay, let me, where's the heresy going to be? Or, you <laughs> Picking know, up stones yeah, quietly. Is he going to try to push me, knock me over <laughs> that kind of skepticism? And he had a very simple word and he pointed to the guy who was speaking. And um, there's a guy that had traveled all over the world, Africa, and ministered renewal and encouragement to churches. Um, and he said, what you see him doing and what you hear that he's been doing, that's what the Lord's going to have you do. And that was it. He just kind of turned and walked away. And uh, it didn't make a lot of sense to me, uh, but uh, I felt in my heart of heart that same kind of conviction that God was speaking, uh, a lot like you know when I first had given my life to Christ, you didn't understand everything about the gospel, but I realized something tangible had happened. And uh, there was an area in North San Diego County that I used to go running in three or four times a week, some dirt hills with some vineyards. And the next day I uh, went there running, finished my run. I was leaning up against my car, just catching my breath. And uh, all of a sudden I I just uh, saw this overwhelming vision of Jesus standing there in the hills. And he was huge. And he was smiling at me, and he never said anything, but the old saying is, the picture's worth a thousand words. At that point, the Lord was conveying to me that he's so much bigger than what I understand or understand any plans for my life. And his smile, I mean, it was wonderful to have a sense of Jesus smiling at you, of course, but uh, had a sense that he was smiling at me like, you think you know what I have for you. <laughs> And as I began to pray into it, uh, the Lord began to speak, and there was uh, an opportunity coming up. My wife and I were going to be married in early July, and our church had been invited to participate with some other churches and uh, and send some teams with John Wimber, who was the head of the Vineyard Movement, uh, to South Africa. And all of a sudden, my wife and I, uh, we felt like we should go on this trip and we went and were part of a ministry team and ministered there. And then afterwards, we ministered in Norway. And I began to get different invitations to speak and seminars, conferences, church visits, and first in North America and then beyond that. And uh, and over a period of time, I realized that there was much more of a grace in my life for uh uh, encouraging churches, building them up through prophetic words, sometimes for the church, sometimes for individuals, praying for people, talking about uh, mentoring churches and uh, training and equipping in the gifts of the Spirit, such as uh, knowing the voice of the Lord, healing, 
and uh, worship and prayer. And so really, although the, the banner kind of over our ministry for all these years has been prophetic, um, I see the major call upon us as help encouraging churches and leaders to move into greater intimacy with the Lord. So here's my question. That's fantastic. But you said you get this word, and I love the word that the guy gave the simplicity of it. The next day you go out for a run, and you have a vision of Jesus. Had you had visions before? No. Um, <laughs> no, and... You know, a lot of times we use that word vision, and obviously uh, the Bible talks about that God speaks through dreams, visions, uh, enigmatic ways, uh, through parables, and all of that. And it's a hallmark of, should be a hallmark of New Testament Christianity that right. uh, dreams, visions, prophecies. But, uh, you know, uh, there are there have been times I've experienced a few visions that have been completely overwhelming. You can't see anything else, sense anything else, but just the glory of the Lord. But a lot of the pictures the Lord gives me, uh, you know, are in just everyday life. You can be driving a car at the same time, and it doesn't right. mean you become discombobulated or you can carry in a conversation. But all of a sudden you realize you're in your mind's eye – it just is kind of something's landing upon your brain that you're not manufacturing. Right, yeah. And it's actually the imagination is involved, but you're not using your imagination to create that. Of like course. you're thinking about, oh, I'm going to, how am I going to paint this room or, you know, that sort of thing. It's just there as opposed to you thinking it through. Right. You know? It arrives on the screen of your mind rather than you put it on the screen of your mind. Yeah. And I, I like how Mark Verkler puts it that thoughts and pictures that just land upon the mind and you know in new in in this day and age we would say god's downloading something to right. us you know? right but had you had that experience before no i never had so do you and i'm not trying to put words in your mouth at all i'm just trying to help my fascination with prophetic ministry is helping people who don't know about prophetic ministry understand prophetic ministry. well one thing that that may tie into that is I, I had always been aware, uh, even when I was in grade school and junior high and high school, that uh, although I didn't have the language for it, uh, I, I had a, a very, what I would call, acute sense of discernment. That, uh, And I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 17. But if someone was lying either to me or if you were hearing a speech or on television, you know, a politician— if something was off, if there was a lie or a mixed motivation, immediately I was able to pick up on that. And, it, you know, and it, I just thought everybody can do this. Everybody right. knows when there's hypocrisy or, right. you know, but I, as I uh, came to the Lord and later on, you know, there in my early 20s, mid 20s, I'm realizing uh, maybe this is all tied in with the gifting because. True gifting, it's not just the charisma gifting out of 1 Corinthians 12, but it's tied in with the motivational gifting we find in Romans 12. And the prophetic, uh, there's a lot of artists and inventors, designers out there, and some teachers that are coming up with new things, new programs, are actually prophetic in their personality, even though they might not have a charisma gift or even know God for that matter. Right. Do you think the guy giving you the word opened the door for the vision the next day? You know how sometimes some words are a, a catalyst to God moving? Yeah. Do you think that's what happened there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, uh, uh, faith comes from hearing, but sometimes we hear, you know, from out of faith. And uh, although I didn't understand it when he shared that with me, it I did pray into it. And I think that's something that people don't understand about prophetic words and vision is that sometimes when they initially experience something from God, they're quick to jump the gun and they go off half-baked. And a lot of times it's a, it's a process that takes place over a period of time that if you take a word, you begin to pray into it, uh, more and more comes and you, you get the full thing or wisdom for it. It's, it's a lot like... When Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw the things happen to the young boy Jesus, she treasured those in her heart. And I think a lot of times people are wanting to grab a prophetic word and share it with their 5,000 best friends on Facebook, you know, and rather than treasuring something that God reveals to them, and by, by treasuring me, taking care of it, praying into it, saying, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? Rather than broadcasting it immediately or, or just acting rashly with a knee-jerk reaction. I remember you saying 
and I love this, it stuck with me. I, I remember hearing you speak in Glasgow before we ever knew each other. You were at Kevin Pete's church. And you said prophetic ministry is often a diving board into a pool of prayer. Yeah. And I love that. Like, obviously, the picture is fantastic, but that we often say that, you know, 90% of prophetic words given today are invitations. Yeah. And yeah. the danger is most people think, ah, oh, it's a done deal. What I, you know, if it's God, it'll come to pass. And you're like, oh, <laughs> be very careful. Well, of that's that. a bit of fatalism, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But people are not looking for their part, you know, in terms of getting their lives ready and, and talking to God about it and processing and all that kind of stuff. One one of my life, if I could speak into that a little bit, sure. Uh, one of my life verses is First Corinthians two nine, that eye is not seen, ear is not heard, has not entered into the mind of man, heart of man, all that God has prepared. And I think a lot of times, uh, number one, when we consider our future lives, we don't take into the equation the vastness of God's mind, His creativity, His wisdom, that He. Quite. Why wouldn't he have more for our lives, not only in heaven but here on earth, that we've ever considered? Right. Uh, like uh, Gideon, all of a sudden, secretly beating out a little bit of wheat in the wine press. There is the Lord, the angel Lord, saying, "Hey, I'm going to use you to deliver a nation." He had never considered that. Right. David, as a young shepherd boy, had never considered that he was someday going to be. Key. I mean, he wasn't even part of the royal family, you know, or even uh, and. There's so much more that God has for us in just his goodness, his benevolence, but also his wisdom. But the other factor is if we've grown up in a family without a lot of encouragement, or maybe there's been even emotional abuse, like some kids unfortunately are cursed with something like you're never going to mount anything, you're, uh, you're never going to be succeed, you're always going to be the same. And because of uh, that begins to grip your identity, you look at your life, whether you're 7, 17, 27, 47, 87, you think, well, this is it. I, you know, I'm just going to kind of survive and then I get to go to heaven. Right. And that, that phrase that prophecy can be, uh, you know, they say that prophecy is a confirmation of what you already know. Sometimes it is that, but sometimes it's something you've never heard before. Right. And so what do you do? Just dismiss it because you've never heard it or automatically obey it? No, you take it and pray into it, that diving board. And if it is of God, over a period of time, it's like God dials in your heart past whatever wounds or rejection or limitations you've accepted over yourself, and you can be hear God say something that are far beyond you know, uh, your wildest dreams. Mark, when you're talking about how some people have the perception that you know, prophecy is always going to be confirmation, it's never going to be the first time that you've heard whatever, because I've, I've heard that so many times, like bif- different people saying, well, yeah, they prophesied whatever, but I've never heard that before, and it wasn't confirmation or whatever. But actually, for me, the first time I ever heard that God was going to use my life was when you prophesied over me and Gosh, I think it was 92. I didn't know this testimony till about six months ago uh, with AJ, even though we've, my wife and I have known AJ for 22, 23 years. But before we got to know her, um, AJ, as you'll tell it better than I do, but you were suicidal. Mm-hmm. Your father had recently committed suicide, mm-hmm. and uh, you had to deal with the aftermath, and I think even cleaning the blood off the walls. Yeah, floor, and yep. <laughs> you were an insomniac, severe stomach problems. Yeah. Uh, incredible depression. You had never been exposed to uh, a meeting with prophetic type ministry, and Mm -hmm. somebody brought you to the meeting, and you end up in the middle of the meeting while I'm speaking, trying to find a seat, and I stop and point at you and said, what's your name? And, uh, you know, everybody's looking at you, I can imagine, and uh, I said, well, AJ, if you're going to throw your life away, why not throw it to Jesus, see what he wants to do with it? Yeah. But let me set up the context, because when you said, what's your name, your immediate heart response was, some prophet you are, you don't even know my name. That was what I thought in my head, you know, but, but I'd never seen a prophet. So when, like when Sandy said, that's marked upon, he's a prophet, I was like, like an Old Testament prophet, like, what What are you talking about? This this doesn't happen anymore, does it? You know, so when you said, what's your name? I was like, some prophet you know, doesn't even know my name. But then you started. That's funny, actually. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm mocking you in my head. Um, but anyway, but you started by saying, you know, AJ, your father's dead and he's not coming back, which I've never heard you give a prophecy, anything like that sounded remotely harsh. And it didn't feel harsh. But the deal was I was completely hallucinating 
and thinking I was seeing my dad in different places. You had had to be carried out of a mall mall, because you ran after some stranger. The week, yeah. Well, I don't think he was actually there. I was fully hallucinating, but I thought I saw my dad. And so I dropped everything. I dropped my purse, everything, started running through the mall going, Daddy, wait, wait. Like, even though I had identified the body in the morgue, even though I had cleaned up the suicide, I was now convincing myself of a whole new reality. And I wasn't sleeping. And uh, so that was the week where... The mall security had come and got me because I had dropped to the floor in the middle of the bay, which is like Macy's, and just started bawling because I couldn't find him. And, you know, so the, they'd remove me and I realized I was seeing him all sorts of places. And that was the Sunday night that you said, you started by saying, AJ, your father's dead and he's not coming back. And for me, that was the thing that made me pay attention. And and then the word continued, something like... Well, for like 10 minutes. You, 10 minutes. You like walk through my life. So you said, you know, when you were seven, you tried to kill yourself. And when you were 13, you tried to kill yourself. And you, So these were all things that nobody in that room knew. Like even though I'd been going to the church for just a couple of months at that point, I didn't know you. People didn't know me there at all. I was the person that cried by themselves in the corner kind of but, thing. But you even thought Sandy must have called me. and I... Well, but Sandy didn't know that stuff. Oh, she didn't? Uh Uh-uh. She, I mean, people didn't know me. I was completely a shadow of a person. Like, I was shut down. I didn't talk. I didn't, you know, so I I was just sitting there going, how, how can he know, how can he know this? Like, so it totally got my attention because in my mind, I'm like, if you know this, then you're hearing God. And then during the ministry time, you ended up, and you had never seen this before, you just collapsed from the power of the Holy Spirit on you on the floor, mm-hmm. laughing uncontrollably. Yeah, but you finished the prophecy by saying, AJ, if you do, I see your gold box and I see letters in it. And I had written suicide notes. I had just decided I can't stay. I can't take it anymore. And I'd written all these letters and I'd put them in this little gold box. And you said, I see a gold box and I see letters in it. And I hear the Lord saying, if you don't want your life, why don't you give it to him and see what he will do with it? And I see you traveling the world and I see God using your life to heal others. And I remember thinking, dude, now you've now you've completely gone off the rails. Like the first stuff that was definitely God, but if you, th- I mean, I can barely brush my teeth in the morning, so I don't know why you think God could use me. But you're cute, and so then I sat back down because you just went right back into preaching, and I was shaking, holding onto this chair, like terrified. So Sandy like pulled me into my seat, and then at the end, you told me to stand up that you wanted to pray for me, and you got about a meter apart. You didn't even touch me, and I hit the floor, and I'd never seen somebody slain in the spirit, so I had no idea why I was on the floor. And I was shaking, and then I started laughing, and I laughed for like 45 minutes. Um, and you prayed over me, and then you went on and prayed over you know, other people. And when I got up off the floor that day, never struggled with eating disorders, suicide, anything from that day on. And as well, I think you said you were healed of depression. Yeah, I mean, like, like all the suicidal, all, the, all that negative thinking. It never came back. Never. Wow. And that's that's obviously a, uh, you know a great picture of there are times God gives words that <laughs> right? are not confirmation. They're just so out of the ballpark. They're more. <laughs> that was not confirmation at all. <laughs> they're more than our eyes have seen, more than our ears have heard. Yeah. And I, I think you know, in, in really in response to uh, you know this question, the tension between is prophecy always confirmation can be more than that. Uh, we dare not limit God because right. He is just so vast in his mind, his wisdom, his creativity for our lives, and, uh, you know. What I love, I mean, obviously I love that story so much. I have a wife because you gave that word. I mean, without any sense of hyperbole. That's a line in the sand day for me, you know. yeah. I mean, so I love that story for so many reasons, and I've heard AJ share that story all over the world. I never cease to weep when I hear that, because for me, authentic prophetic ministry is the kindness of God on display. Mm, mm. I mean, there's no getting around it. And if you think about prophetic protocol, I mean, you teach people how to prophesy all over the world. We, uh, you know, teach people to minister. You would, ne- you would never have somebody start a prophetic word. Their opening lines are, "Your dad's dead and he's not coming back." But what nobody else knows in the room is that's the kindest message her little heart could hear because mm. she's delusional. She's not sleeping. She's fabricated an entire existence of her dad who is dead. And that snapped her out of that and gave her the, okay, what what do you have to say? And then even the walking through my life stuff, it was like, you got my attention with that first statement, but then I was like, you must hear from the Lord because nobody knows this. That was, I mean, so it was just, yeah, life-changing. amazing. Well, it's interesting. Um, uh, when through one of the prophets, God said he speaks to people through 
dreams, visions, but also parables. And uh, parable, the word parable in the original language is made up of two words that really has connotations of the known and the unknown. And so when Jesus would give parables, he'd talk about things like taking care of the sheep or fishing or uh, the woman cleaning her house and finding the missing coin. They, they all had elements of everyday life that people completely understand. But then there would be the element of the Dhamma uh, of uh, parables that was just completely, uh, it didn't fit with what people thought. And you know, we live in a day and age people want instant information, they want everything laid out in black and white, but quite often God does speak through dreams, visions, prophecies, and parabolically, uh, because he wants us to think, he wants us to pray. And I love that verse in Proverbs, it says, it's the glory of, uh, of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of a man or a king to seek out that matter. And so part of the, the prophetic is through a myriad of ways, but saying, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying to draw closer to the Lord? There is an incredible misconception surrounding prophecy that people would hear you give a word like that and think, dear God, he knows everything. But what people don't realize is, and I'll ask you this, but I'm fairly sure I know the answer is, often when we're prophesying, we do prophesy in part, and we know in part, but we don't know the sum total of the revelation we're giving. We're giving it, and by the mercy of God, it fits. I mean, I, I would be very surprised if you were standing up there going, I totally know how this fits. You're just giving what you've got as the messenger, and of course it lands in our heart. But the, the and this is one of the things I love about you, Mark, is that stuff can go to your head. The, you know, it's very easy for people in the room to be like, oh my gosh, you must know everything. And the truth is, no, I don't know everything. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, I get a download and often I don't even know how the download fits. And part of the joy, of course, in prophetic ministry is people coming up at the end going, you have no idea how that ministered. And you're like, please tell me because you're giving the, these fragments that you have. And of course, it means more to the person receiving it because it's about them. Right. And I think you, you know, I really want to honor you, Mark, because you've handled yourself very, very well in not playing into that mystery. I remember Steve Thompson from Morningstar encouraging young prophetic ministers saying, please don't be weird. Like the prophetic is weird enough without you adding to it. Right. It's, it's weird that you would know all that stuff about a complete stranger. It's weird that you would know when she tried to kill her. I mean, that's, that's disconcerting, but you've done such a great job. I would say you're one of the most normal prophets I know. Well, there's, you know, the, the, and this is, um, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong student of the Bible, and I, I always encourage people that if they want to go deeper into prayer and prophecy, they also need to go deeper into their knowledge of the written word, the Bible. But no matter how much we learn about God, um, and I like what Eugene Peterson said about systematic theology, that that phrase is an oxymoron, that there's certain tenets of the faith, such as salvation of, uh, by grace, the infallibility of the Word of God, and so on and so on, the virgin birth and resurrection, that those have to be spelled out. They have to be deeply rooted foundationally. But we dare not do away with the mystery of God. And um, I like what years ago, John Wimber, maybe there were others before him that said it, but Biblical faith is spelled R-I-S-K, and when we give a prophetic word or when you're sharing the gospel with a complete stranger or maybe your neighbor's little child comes down with leukemia and you sense in your heart you should volunteer to pray for them, even that child, even though the family might not know the Lord, there's always risk because there's always a mystery involved of how God works. And uh, I would be the first to say that a lot of times, in fact, most of the time when I'm prophesying over people or a church, uh, there's very much a mystery. I, I, I don't always understand how it fits, or even if I do understand, my gosh, how are they going to make this happen? I think part of the prophecy, as you alluded to, AJ, that first one over you, was you were going to go to the nations. How many nations have you been to? Uh, we counted it up together. Together it was like 42, but me, myself, over 30. So you've, you know, uh, I didn't know you, and I don't didn't know whether you even knew the Lord at that time. I didn't know whether you were a Bible school student or in ministry. Right. Or I was a waitress. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't know you were you were struggling with uh, 
suicidal depression things. Right. And so to me, it's, it's, it's revelation, uh, what we call uh, transrational information that God is downloading, that you know what you're hearing, but there's a great mystery involved with the rest of it. And so uh, I, I think we, we never want to confuse being, being a messenger with being the one who inspires the message. Yeah, I think that's I think that's awesome, Mark. I have another question just about your testimony. AJ and I have been talking a lot on the podcast. Our listeners will know this, and I spoke at church on Sunday, something similar to this. It sounds like you got this word, you got this vision from the Lord, and it sounds like you started heading in this direction. I love what you said. It seemed like as I ministered, there was a grace upon my life for X. Talk to me about the transition from beginning to operate prophetically to entering, and I'm not sure if we're comfortable with the phrase, the office of a prophet, but presumably at some point along that continuum, people start coming to you and telling you what you are. Did you wrestle with that? Was that a struggle? Was that terminology weird for you? At what point were you comfortable with going, I guess I'm a prophet? Like, how how was that? Well, I... A couple of qualifying thoughts there, and, and on a very practical note, in the original language, uh, as, as I understand it, there is no actual word for office. It, what it's talking about is ministry, and ministry is serving people. And um, that word was used because it appeals to a lot of people to, quote, have a position, sure. you know, authority, and that's that's not necessarily what ministry is about. But uh, and the other practical consideration is is I never go around introducing myself as a prophet. I don't use that label. I, I talk about... <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I've ever heard you introduce no, yourself as a prophet. but everybody refers to you as a prophet. Yeah. So, but, but I, I love that. Keep but again, continuing. but to continue that thought, you know, I, I hear people say all the time that they're an apostle, they're a pastor, they're this or that. And I think the highest calling upon us is, uh, because of Jesus Christ, to be a son or daughter of God. To be able to call out in your heart, Abba, Father, as Paul talked about. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I, I think, you know, there, there's not going to be teachers, preachers, evangelists, you know, in, in the test of time and eternity like there is here on earth. And we're going to realize that we've already been given the greatest title we can be given, which is the sons of God you know, and because I of Jesus. I love that. And that's why you're so close to our heart, Mark, because... We love that. We love that. You, in all the years we've known you, you've never fought for a title or a position. And when we see that, it, you know, it grates against us. So understand that completely and love your heart. Totally agree with you. And yet, yes. at some point, for you to fulfill what God's sure. got for you, you ha- I, I'm, I'm asking this rather than stating this, you have to begin to agree with him about yes. how he sees you. Yeah. So you, you have to agree. And in your heart, even embrace the function God calls you to. Right. So I think that's, rather than the title, I'd like to talk about the function sure. of a prophetic minister or evangelist, whatever it may be. And the problem was in the early 80s, uh, we didn't have a lot of resources back in those days, even about the basic use of the charisma, charisma gift of prophecy, let alone a prophetic ministry to the church at large. Um John Sanford's book, uh, The Elijah Task, it was, you know, we, we just read that and reread it and reread it, you know, and it was great in many regards. But um, uh, what really helped me, what was really important was the church I came to the Lord in in 1974, uh, it was an evangelical movement that the, the youth of that church had been impacted by the Jesus movement. So there were a lot of high school and college age kids coming to the Lord. They that church was not open to the gifts of the spirit, the charisma gifts, but it had these two great values. They loved evangelism, and they loved the word of God. And so I got steeped in the value of the word of God as our anchor in life, the logos, Jesus, the word. And what uh, as I began to believe in prophecy and start moving, and it's not that I haven't made mistakes over the years; I certainly have. Uh, but what I believe has been a mainstay for me is the realization that the Holy Spirit is not schizophrenic. He will never say anything contrary to the scriptures which he inspired. Right. And so, uh, and even not just going off on a small tangent, but directional tangents, you know, 
um, that uh, the goal, you know, and even when we talk about there are personal prophecies such as God is wanting you to step up into this gifting or bring healing in this area or he has this for you. But I believe the heart of all prophecy is rooted in Revelation um, 19, uh, my mind's gone blank, 19 verse 10, I think it is, that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of the Lord Jesus. And so whether directly or indirectly, there should always be an aspect of prophecy that's pointing to the person of God, that not pointing to us, oh, I want to get this and what do I want to do with it, but how can I more fully be in the will of God? You know, how can I more fully lay down my life and for, for Jesus? You know, and so that to me is as we began to start, I had a lot of friends at that time in the early 80s began to not only start moving in prophecy, but going to other churches and then start teaching on prophecy and prophesying over people and giving prophetic words for churches. Uh, we did make mistakes, and and you know that's that's human nature. You know we, anything. You know, including the spiritual gifts. As we grow, we you know it's if our heart's in the right place, we learn from our mistakes. The, to stay focused, the the central thing was whatever we're doing, it sh- it has to be in line with the Word of God, uh, uh, and the Bible, and it has to be always coming back to. The love of God the Father, the person of Jesus, and consistent to what the Holy Spirit's already said through the Scriptures. I know that you and John Paul Jackson were ministry colleagues. You were friends. You ministered a lot together. You shared a lot of the same values. You wrote a brilliant white paper on prophetic ministry together, along with other people. I was watching his memorial, and um, it was fascinating to me to watch a long, a longtime friend of his. And he said, you know, I knew John Paul when he was not in ministry. The two of us would drive together to work. He was an executive for a large American firm. He said, but I always felt like John Paul should be in ministry. And anytime I tried to encourage him in that, John Paul would, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm not prophetic. I'm, you know, I, I couldn't be in ministry, this, that, and the next thing. And so clearly he got over that struggle. Clearly, you know, he was like, okay, God, maybe you do have a call from me in this. And I commented on Sunday, I thought, Praise God he overcame that voice, because what a tragedy it would be had he lived that lie. I'm not prophetic. But what I found in speaking to many prophetic people is that they've struggled with that lie of, well, I'm not really prophetic, either because of comparison. I'm not prophetic because I don't prophesy like X, or I'm not prophetic because I don't get revelation like that. Was that ever a struggle for you in your journey into the prophetic ministry? Yeah, yeah, certainly. And um I know that by the late 80s, uh, by that time, our, our ministry internationally began to be established. I was traveling, you know, 100, 120, 130 days a year and had a, a, a lot of open doors and people that I respected that were really receiving our ministry. But then when I looked at some of the other well-known prophetic ministries out there, I was just at times in awe of how God used them, and I kept thinking to myself, I'm not like this person, I'm not like that person. And um, what really helped me, and this is something I've taught a, a lot about the, uh, over the years, but uh, out of David's writings, in, uh, prophetic writings, I think, out of Psalm 139, where he said things like, even in my mother's womb, the hand of God was fearfully and wonderfully upon me. And I, I began to, it really became uh, firm in my heart that God doesn't create any of us to be exactly like anybody else. He puts great intentionality into his creation of us and even the gift package. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned John Paul. Um, uh, I was, uh, there was, it was just a crazy uh, season uh, a month or two ago, and uh, I'd been asked to go to the memorial for John Paul. I wasn't able to go. It was just would have wreaked havoc with everything. That's another story. But um, uh, a guy who had been on his board, uh, I, I, the day he passed away, I wrote a tribute to him on our ministry Facebook account. And a guy who had formerly been on his board uh, posed a statement in the comments uh, to that post that, well, who's going to pick up John Paul's mantle and run with it? And uh, without wanting to be condemning or parental anyway, I said, hopefully nobody, because God never does the same thing twice. And I said, the question is, and I said, this is even what John Paul, his whole training and focus was about, was to help each believer rise up in the gifting, the unique gifting God has for them. I said, that's how 
we can carry on John Paul's ministry. Let's encourage believers to find out who they are uniquely in God and, and carry on. And it takes off all that pressure, doesn't it? Because I am the worst Mark DuPont impersonator. Like, I'm not called to walk in your ministry and in your shoes. Uh, praise God. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also a terrible A.J. Jones, uh, you know, imitator. That's the, <laughs> and there's a huge freedom in resting in the comfort and the knowledge that, you know, we're sons and daughters. I get to be a son. My my Your greatness doesn't impinge upon my greatness. Right. It's not a a greatness quota, and because you got more of it, thus I get less of it. And there's not a shortage in yeah. heaven. <laughs> and I think that yeah. comes from a revelation of the Father's love too. Yeah, it's not somehow a second tier awesome. It's we're all awesome because we're created in the image of God, and we have different functions and we have different roles, and it's amazing. You know, in, in the parable Jesus told about the, um, the 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 wealthy master, the stewards, and the talents in Matthew 25. There's something incredibly important that oftentimes is not taught on or recognized, and everybody talks about, well, there was the one who had been given five talents, he doubled it, Master said, well done, good and faithful servant, here's more besides. And uh, then the one with, he'd given two or three talents to, but then he got angry at the one who hid his talent and called him wicked and evil. And so there's always this focus when that is being preached, you've got to be responsible with your gifts. And yes, that's true. But there's a secondary point in that parable that I believe is very critical that we grasp in that the one who'd been given the two talents had only gained two more, not gaining five more like the one who'd been given five, but his reward was the same. Right. The, he, you know, the master said exactly as he said to the one with five, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to a few things. Here's more besides. Now enter into the joy of your master. And at the end of the day, if, if each of us is obedient with the gifts, the opportunities, and the situations God gives us, uh, our reward is going to be the same, right. the joy of the master. And so that takes the pressure off mm-hmm. that I haven't been given the gift package you've been given right. or anybody else. And so God's not expecting me. Right. I mean, what if in a Christian's lifetime they led 50 people to the Lord Jesus? That would be remarkable. And they're feeling pretty good about themselves and the judging of the saints, you know? And then all of a sudden they realize Billy Graham is standing in front of them. And all of a sudden that 50 doesn't look so good. But yet they've never received the calling, the opportunities, and the gifting that Billy Graham received. Right. And uh, but yet, you know, you know what I'm saying. I do. I can see the guy tapping on Billy Graham. Do you mind if I just go in front of you? Yeah. It's going to work out better for both of us. Trust well, me. Yeah. Or can you just assign me a few souls by proxy or something? Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Um, when you and other prophets get together, do you ever play poker together? And if so, is there a point? <laughs> you know, the old question is when two prophets meet each other, one says, well, I know how you are. How am I doing? <laughs> you know, and the thing, um, this is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, especially in the last few years, it seems like people are saying, I'm prophetic. Right. And they may move a little bit in the charisma gift or prophecy. No, you're not prophetic. You are prophetic when you prophesy. You're prophetic in what you're doing. But, you know, uh, as far as speaking about men, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. Right. You know, uh, we all use hands and forks to pick up our eating utensils or chopsticks. We or hope whatever. so. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it, we're, we're all human beings. And, um, I recently have been rereading in the uh, the Old Testament some of the writings of Solomon and uh, about the reign of Solomon, and it really has struck me. There's a couple of passages where it says, under the reign of Solomon, the people, they had plenty to eat, plenty to drink, and they were happy. And when you read through like Ecclesiastes and some of the other, not only writings of Solomon, but about his reign, it just talks about enjoying the goodness of life. And because there's so much brokenness in society today, so many people coming from broken families, not knowing a father's love or a mother's love, it seems like we're, we're trying to almost get artificial with our spirituality. Right. And there are times, you know, and I've even experienced this uh, like a few times buying leather jackets, for example, when God has spoken to me, he's done a sign and a wonder out of that or thing. But you know, the reality is God created life to be enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And so we can sit down, have a meal together, we can encourage one another, we can have fun together, and we don't 
we we can be spiritual in who we are as opposed to you know getting all spooky and weird and thinking well I'm prophetic right. well let's start by being humans yeah right. maybe maybe that's prophetic to be a fully alive human you know we we have a dear friend you may know him Chip Judd and he he has this great phrase he says surely one of the side effects of the anointing of God is that we just become nicer people like yeah. like forget all this. You know, are you a better husband? Are you a nicer dad? Are you fun to be with uh, yeah. for dinner? Yeah. And some people would think that's a low, you know, low part of the anointing of God. But I've met an quote unquote anointed people who are just jerks. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, I yeah. fully agree. Who with are that. those people? Let's talk about. Them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's do an alphabetical list. You know, that would be fruitful. You know, and and I would say my my, my wife and I, you know, uh, in thirty three, almost thirty three years, we've been married and. Uh, we have friends all over the world, very close friends, dear friends, like in South Africa and England and parts of Europe and Canada. And we've noticed something that the people we're closest to, not only do they have a deep love for God and, and love serving God, but they love to laugh. They enjoy a good meal. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, I mean, they're real, you know? And, um, and so that uh, you know, God has created us to be supernaturally natural. We don't need these titles and airs and this cloak of mysticism to walk around in. I love that, Mark, because you're so prophetic. You've read through my list of questions and answered them before I asked them. But one of the questions I did have on here <laughs> is what brings you the most joy? Well, in ministry, if I could talk about that, what really gets me excited is when I walk away from a meeting and I know in a real way people have encountered the presence of the Lord. And I'm not talking about feelings, you know, uh, whether people have an emotional vibe or not, but sometimes we have breakthroughs in worship where all of a sudden you you realize there's a heightened awareness of the presence of God there and people walk away, their their hearts are changed. You know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you see people that have been living with difficulty or stress or trauma walking out of that meeting there's, you can sense the peace of God. They've, they've got something that they didn't have when they walked in, or the joy of revelation of the Father's love. I was sharing last night in the Emanate meeting here at Franklin at, uh, with your church that just the night before, when we were in uh, a church in Venice, uh, Florida, uh, a lady who, uh, as she testified, in 40 years now, she'd not been able to take more than five steps without assistance, using a walker or a wheelchair, that uh, she was so completely healed in her legs and her hips, her knees, her back, that she was running around the room. And uh, she had not been able to walk, as I said, more than five steps without assistance. In 40 years, here she is running. And uh, of course, that's a great miracle, but as I interviewed her and she's testifying, she she doesn't know whether to laugh or to cry. She's just beside herself in the goodness of God. Um, my uh, second daughter, her name is Taylor, and uh, she graduated in May of last year from uh, uh, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, with a degree in um, Uh, political science, and also uh, minor in entrepreneurial uh, business. And uh, for whatever reasons, you know, the Lord knows, she has done a lot of interviews. And even though she's done some interning in Washington in the past, she she just over the last nine months or so, 10 months, has not been able to land a job. And she's had some great interviews in different cities. But we just got word yesterday she's uh, just landed a really great job in uh, the realm of politics where her heart is at. And, of course, as a father, you have a unique joy of your children. But I was just so stoked, so excited. I still am today. And I think that that what brings God the Father joy is when he sees his children, uh, you and I, come to know him, walk in his ways. As Moses said, teach me your ways, Lord, that I might know you. Uh, to turn away from uh, lifestyles or habits that are struck destructive, you know the Bible calls sin, but enter into the goodness of God, know Him, uh, as Paul talked about the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of love. God takes great joy in seeing us know Him, and for me, what brings a lot of joy is whether in worship or in ministry to see life changed. Mm-hmm. You know that's the whole it's goal. You know and. Uh, and so, um, and as well, you know, just in the, the natural, 
Um, one of my uh, passions is motorcycle riding. And when I'm with some good friends, we're hitting some really good curves in the mountains and the <laughs> sun is shining, you know, and it's not too hot or not too cold. You know, it's just, it, it's, you know, it's just a uh, killer for me. You know, I know that you like good food and I'm getting hungry. So I suggest we say thank you very much for your time and we go get some tacos. Hmm. Hallelujah and amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. We have. Um, we didn't actually end up going for tacos. No, we didn't go for tacos. I don't even remember what we ate. Oh, I remember what I ate. It no, was. We it, went to Gray's. Yeah, it had pimento cheese in it. We went to Gray's and they were playing Bethel worship music at Gray's. Okay, <laughs> but we still didn't have tacos. No, we didn't. But we did have good food. We did. Um, I've got some listeners' questions. In fact, I got a great listeners' question, but because. Uh, this week's podcast is already too long. We can't talk about it, but next week we're gonna, we've got a great question about being single and wanting to get married and how you handle your heart and that. So we'll talk about that next week. But Perfect. This week's question is from Danny. And he or she says this, Alan AJ, I come from the younger generation. I've been told by some people of the older generation that they feel bad for my generation because we have to continue to live in America and the world while it goes to hell. Wow. Some of these people are believers. <laughs> I have been told not to have children because the world is going downhill so quickly. I believe God uses my generation and wants to use the older generation to bring a shift. How do I handle these criticisms thoughtfully and respectfully? And how do the younger adults not feel discouraged? <laughs> wow, I'm kind of surprised by the question. I guess I've never heard the don't have children because the world is going to hell argument before. Well, well, you have. Probably just caged differently. Yeah, but people, you know, don't want to go to school or... Yes, that's true. Don't want to go in their life because Christ is returning. Mm -hmm. And he is returning, but he's been returning for quite some time. And you don't know the time or the hour. Right. And Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says his thoughts towards you are filled with good things and optimism. So I wouldn't let the discouragement of other people and their perspective dissuade you from embracing the goodness that God's put before you. Mm-hmm. There's a brilliant parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, I think, where he talks about the wheat and the tares. And, you know, the wheat and the tares grow up together. And the parable there is, as the world gets darker and more wicked, the good news is God's righteousness and the righteousness of his saints also grow brighter and brighter and brighter. So be encouraged. The darker things get, the brighter your light will shine. Yes. And also, my encouragement to you is from Acts 17, where it says, God determined the time and the exact place where you would live. So he didn't bring you into this world just so that you could get a front row seat to the world sliding into hell. He, he built you with a purpose and with great excitement and looks forward to your sunny smile and your brilliant life laid out before you. So it's going to be amazing. So hopefully that's an encouragement to you. And I don't know who these people are, but maybe... Well, somebody probably told them the same things when they were younger. Right. So don't be like them and spend the rest of your life thinking like that, because then you'll be old and grumpy. Anything else, baby? No, I just wanted to say thank you. Last week I asked people to go to iTunes and leave some feedback. Thank you for those who did that. Really, really appreciate it. It just helps us feed the iTunes machine. Um, If you have a question for us, or if you'd like to uh, suggest a topic that we talk about for the podcast... Go to alanandaj.com slash ask, and we'd love to hear from you. Yes. All right, we hope you have an incredible week. Mm. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Yep. Good night. (laughs) Good day. (laughs) Good morning. Goodbye. (laughs) 